to episode 13 of the Paydia Education Podcast. I'm Dr. Bernie. I'm Dr. Richard Marshall. You're Dr. Bernie Wilkinson. That's true. That's okay. true. I sometimes forget my last name. Early. Well, you know. My last name is, it's long, it's too many syllables. So it's, you know, Dr. Bernie is easy. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. So we're a day late. and But we're not a dollar short. No. Um, we're late because I had to do a, I had to serve a subpoena yesterday and was in a deposition all morning. Mm-hmm. Yesterday. Yesterday, on, on Friday mornings when we usually uh, do this podcast. So that's what delayed us. They, you know, they told me that it would take, that the podcast, that the, the podcast, mm-hmm. the deposition would last about an hour. And they were right, was right there, on target, huh? Close. I was three. there three and a half hours. That's close to an hour. <laughs> that's close. Uh, so, but I'm glad that we're here today. We get to do it this morning. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah. Good to be back. And uh, we did, some people just finished spring break. Some of the colleges right. had spring break. And the public schools are just beginning there. Well, some public schools. Uh, Hillsborough County had their, had their spring break last week. Oh. Uh, so, uh, and here in Polk County, we'll be having our spring break this week. Right. So the Kids are excited uh, about that. Everybody needs a rest. I guess so. it's good that they don't have all the schools on spring break at the same time because that would be pretty chaotic you wouldn't be able to get into disney world no disney and the hotels would be uh, the hotels are full anyway i'm sure i'm sure they are so um but today's podcast is going to sort of continue with a a general theme that we've been talking about and that is sort of that, that is the unintended consequences of some of the things that is happening in education and our current educational reform movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but today, we titled this one, uh, the, the Paydia Education Podcast, Episode 13, right. The New Sorting Machine. Yes, and sorting is spelled S-O-R-T-I-N-G, as in we sort things out. Like the sorting hat. Like in the Harry sorting Potter. hat, that's right. Harry the Potter. Sort, this is like the sorting hat. That's very good. Yeah. The well, sorting hat and... Harry Potter, what else do I expect, you know, right? Come on, it, it is Saturday morning, I'm very refreshed. That's right, you're on, you've had your coffee. <laughs> no, it's like the sorting hat in Harry Potter. And um, this goes back to Thomas Jefferson, actually, because what Jefferson wanted, you remember what we've talked before on the podcast about how our, um, the, the, how the, uh, the founding father's um, goals and purposes for education. Right. And, and one of the things that Jefferson argued for was that we should admit all kids to uh, public schools and have the most competent, right. um, and he called that a meritocracy. In other words, our schools would help us determine um, who the leaders are because they would rise through. And so from very early on in the history of our country, schools have acted like sorting machines in that um, the most competent students um, sort of distinguish themselves, and we begin to identify um, individuals at very young ages um, who are uh, who are good students and and who are going to be uh, perhaps leaders or researchers or scientists. And so schools have always had this role of being a sorting machine. And sometimes they sort, and sometimes we sort ourselves. But in general, we give everybody. The, the idea was you give everybody a chance. This goes back to. Um, uh, Horace Mann and the uh, common schools in Massachusetts back in the 1820s and 1830s, that you give everybody a chance and allow everybody the opportunity to become competent, to become educated, to become uh, good at what they're doing. Right, right. And and we sometimes don't think about it that way. We don't sure. think about schools in that way because, you know, when we think, when we talk about schools in other countries, uh, many people are sort of taken aback when they hear about tracking, uh, where, you know, students, as they are entering secondary, uh, their secondary education, um, you know, students will be placed in a, in a uh, trade uh, path, right. or they'll be p- placed in a path to go right. for, uh, for the universities and, and things like that. And so we, we look at that and we think, wow, they, they're really taking away some opportunities for kids uh, because they're tracking them, uh, mm-hmm. or they're placing them in these paths that that they will then stay on. And that but happens he, at a fairly young age. I mean, in right. European countries, it's about the eighth grade right. where they make that switch. And then you get tracked into a vocational path where you become a kind of a blue-collar worker, if you right. will, you know, a 
manual labor, or you get tracked into the university track right. where you're going to go to college. And it's pretty hard to get out. Right. Uh, it's pretty hard to get into the university track once you've been put into the vocational track. Right. But what I think people, we, we, because we refer to it differently and because we kind of talk about it a little bit differently, people don't realize that we, we do some of that, a lot of that, here as well. It, we do a variation of that here. Right. Certainly. Right. Because we, we, we have situations where, where students, you know, from a very early age, based upon the classes that they're taking uh, because of um, types of, ex, quote unquote, exceptionalities that they are diagnosed with, mm-hmm. because of uh, a, a variety of different things. Students are on different paths. They yeah. are on different tracks. Yeah, unlike the European system, all of our students are in the same building. Well, right. typically, like you take a typical public high school, if it's, uh, it draws from a particular geographic area, and all the kids are in the same building, but some of the students are taking AP classes, right. some are they're taking remedial classes, some are taking regular education classes, and so you have a similar tracking system, it's just that it's all in one building rather than in separate facilities. Right, right. Yeah, there, there are, um, and we, we kind of referred to this uh, within the last couple of weeks, I can't remember which, which podcast it was, but we, we talked about how we have this, the, the issue of GPAs. And the fact that we have students who, on a 4.0 GPA scale, you know, they'll have GPAs as high as 4.8 right. and 5.0. Almost 5, yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about the, that the unintended consequence of that is that we have students who would otherwise have a decent GPA of, you know, a nice sound 3.75, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're not even in the top 25% of their class because... Right. You know, if yes. if they're not taking AP courses, if they're not taking honors courses, and and all, they're just not going to have the GPA that they need to get into the right. the schools that they may want to go to. Yeah, the even colleges the, and even universities. state schools, uh, the state colleges and universities here, um, they begin looking at students who have about a 4.0 right you know, and above, right? Because you know, there are lots of students in most states who have a GPA of 4.0 and above. So you take all those first, and then you work your way down into the threes. But students now, most parents are telling their their children, if you don't have at least a 4.0, don't plan to go to one of the major state universities. Yeah, yeah. So so it it is a a sorting... It is inevitably a sorting machine. And and I, I don't think there's any way to escape that schools will serve that sorting function in some way. Right. But what my concern is, and what I wanted to talk about today, because it it is an extension of that unintended consequences business, um, I wanted to talk today about a new way where we're we're sort of, uh, we have a new way of sorting kids today, and I'm not sure that it is in anybody's best interest, especially the students. And I, and I um, was struck by two, you know, we've talked about Diane Rabich and how much we, uh, we believe in her and respect her. I think you only mention her every day. Well, you know, she's, she's um, very good at this. She speaks with authority. And mm-hmm. um, so, um, so, and I read her, her posts. She does what we a say? lot of posts. Every hour? She does, she about posts, one an hour. Yeah, it's yeah. about. She has a little post, about one an hour, but she doesn't have them on weekends. I noticed I went in right. today to look at them, and the last one I have is from earlier this week. But um, she doesn't have them on weekends. Anyway, and she's also on vacation in Florida, uh, currently. Wow. Yeah. When was the last Republican debate? Uh, last week? I think so, yeah. yeah. Just before she the, was in the, Florida. Right, just before the voting here. So she's been in Florida this week, so she may not have posted as many. Anyway. She had a wonderful post from a mother in, um, in uh, New Mexico, and um, the, the title, uh, doesn't matter what the title was. Anyway, this mother has an, a doctorate in educational leadership, Oh, okay? So, um, and she's been in education for 30 years, and she was writing um, uh, a piece about her own children, and that she has a daughter and two sons. I think the boys are twins, and they're in high school. And what she was, um, what she was um, concerned about is that her two boys are sort of being sorted out of, their, of the school, of, of schooling. Um, mm-hmm. let, let me explain. Um, they have to take, as, as we do in all states now, we have these um, high stakes tests. Right. And so they are on what she referred to as the cusp. C-U-S-P, um, that they're not disabled, 
Right. But they're always in that borderline between... In, in um, Florida, it would be a, a high two or a low three. Right. Okay. And students who test in that... Let's take Florida as an example. If you take what now is the FSA, what used to be the FCAT, um, if you take that test and you score a two, there are certain classes that are closed to you. You you simply can't take them for two reasons. Number one, you might have to take an intensive reading class if your score is low enough, intensive reading or intensive math. And so that takes one of your periods. And the second thing is, is that if you don't have a certain score, you can't be admitted. If you don't score at a certain level on the FSA or the FCAT, we used to be FCAT, um, you couldn't be admitted to uh, certain classes. Even if you wanted to go in, you had an interest in it, you were able to do it. If you didn't score at a certain level on this um, high stakes test that we give every year, you weren't allowed in these classes. And that's what happened to her sons. They were not allowed to take AP classes. Um, as a result, they didn't have the advantage of increasing their grade point average by taking honors and AP classes. Um, they took regular classes and got the normal amount of credit. And it'd be very hard to get above um, a four. Even if you got all A's, you could only get a four because you're in regular classes. You can't increase your grade point average um, with honors and AP classes. The second thing is, so, so number one, the, the, this low test score, again, the single, single test score, doesn't matter what else they could do, the single test score barred them from taking AP classes. Second, these kids were sort of mechanical. They were right. good at repairing engines and all that stuff. They were decent students, but they really had a mechanical uh, bent. Um, they were not allowed in the robot. They were not allowed on the robotics team because that robotics team is limited only to students who are in the gifted program. Right. Okay. And at other schools, very similar. At other schools, when you don't do as well in those tests, you're forced to take. You're forced to give up. Um, extracurricular activities right. mm -hmm. or, or other class periods right. to, to take remedial courses right. so that you'll do better on the test next time. That's right, because there are only seven periods, either six or seven periods in a day. And if you have to take two remedial classes, two what they call intensive classes, right. then you have your five periods for your regular subject, math, science, English, history, and PE. And then you have, you can't take electives you can't take anything of interest right. because you have to take these intensive classes. So you're barred from taking electives. You're barred from taking AP. You're barred from taking honors because of this single test score. Right. Okay. Now, if a student chooses not to take AP classes, I don't have any problem with that. Okay. Right. But to be barred from it, I have a problem with it. I mean, there, there's something about the sorting kids that way that uh, rubs me the wrong way. Well, because the, the, the measuring stick that they're using to sort is unfair. That's right. That's right. I was at a meeting at a school uh, this past week and uh, the, the issue of testing um, came up. And, you know, people talk about this test as well. We have this test and everybody has to take it and it's a state law. And all, but it's an illegitimate test. Right. I mean, it's, and we all know that. But yet we continue to pay lip service and we continue to to worship at this altar of testing, even though everybody knows it doesn't work. Everybody knows it's not working for most kids. We continue to say everybody has to take it. It's sort of I feel like lemmings, you know, running off this right. cliff and drowning ourselves. Anyway, um, what this mother was saying is that the educational system itself is destroying the dreams, not only of her children. Her, they're not mm -hmm. the only ones affected by sure. this. What she was saying is, is, let's use my kids as an example, but the educational system, the way it's evolving and changing, is it's destroying the dreams of many children because they're being told what they can't do. Right. And they're being barred from things that they should be allowed to do. Um, you know, if... If, if somebody wants to take an AP class and they're in there and they're doing the work, let them take it. If they don't pass the AP exam, that's their business. But if they want to take the course and they can do the work and they're not a disruption, they should be allowed to take it. So when I say that we have a new sorting machine, the, 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 what worries me about 
uh, and once again, what all these podcasts have been about in the last couple of weeks is where are the reforms getting us? Right. Okay. Number one, why do we have the reforms? But two, where are the reforms getting us? And again, it, it all sounds so good when you hear public officials, um, lawmakers, get up and talk about, we're going to hold teachers accountable. We're going to give you school choice. We're going to have testing that makes sure that these, that all sounds wonderful. But at a building level, at a school building level, most of this stuff simply falls apart. It doesn't work. And the reforms, though they're, and I'm not going to question anybody's intentions, but the reforms that are, that are being implemented today are, um, many of them, um, I don't want, uh, maybe most of them, are working against the best interest of most students. Right. They're fine for kids who are achieving, who are high achievers, who have parental support, who are able to handle school. It's working. But the old system worked for them too. Right. We didn't need reforms for those kids. Right. Okay. And so, um, but the reforms are really hurting kids who are in that middle and all the kids below that 50th percentile. Right. Okay. It, all these reforms are working against them because it's really limiting them. And when I was in this meeting at the school the other day, uh, the um, school officials were talking about kids who are very close. In Florida, you have to pass this test in the 10th grade. Right. Otherwise, you can't get a high school diploma. And so it doesn't matter what your grades are. Right. You can have all A's, but if you can't pass the test, you don't get a high school diploma. You can you can distinguish yourself in every way, but if you don't pass this single test on that day, you don't, you can take it five or six times. But these kids always miss it by a point or two. That's why they keep taking it, because they keep thinking, well, I can get that extra point or two and all. But now there are kids out there who have completed a high school education. They've done all the coursework. They're one or two or three points away. They don't have a high school diploma, so they, they, they're essentially unemployable right okay and that's that's not the kind i don't think that's the kind of sorting machine that we really want to have in this country okay? right yeah we don't want to you know we, we talk about opportunities and we talk about you know having the sort of the world before you is mm -hmm. sort of how we mm -hmm. we talk to our kids so they, right. you know you can go out there and you can do anything right but really these kinds of reforms these kinds of processes really limit that take that right. away yeah and the other the other point that that um, I thought about as I was reading this article is there was a book written years ago uh, probably before you were born called Pygmalion in the classroom did you ever hear that book Pygmalion no. in the classroom and it was based on the who was it who wrote Pygmalion um, the playwright about uh, uh, um, my fair lady was based on the story Pygmalion is mm -hmm. uh, that you can turn anybody into whatever you want. You right. Know, you can take somebody off the street, this little girl who, uh, the, the My Fair Lady was about a, 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 what, she sold flowers or something on the street. Right. And they took her and they trained her and they turned her into this lady. And that, that that's based on the story of Pygmalion. And so there was a book written called Pygmalion in the Classroom. And what, what the researchers did is they took a class of, I think, third graders and they told the teacher, and they, they, they divided the kids, and so they put one group, and they told the teachers, these are the, these are the all-stars. These mm -hmm. are the best students we have. You know, push them, do what you need to do. They're going to do all the work. They're going to be fine. And then there was another group of students, and they said, these students are underachievers. They've struggled all of their lives. I wouldn't expect too much from them. Uh, do what you can, but, you know, don't expect too much. Right. And they went out and they taught these classes. About halfway through the school year, um, the teachers were told that um, these were random groups. Right. They were not select groups. Oh, they yeah. just divided the class in half. And what do you think the results were? The teachers who were told that they had all-stars did extra work. The kids right. were great. They performed. The teachers who were told these kids are underachievers... That's exactly what you produced. Okay, right. so you you teach to the expectation, and and what this mother in New Mexico was lamenting was, um, who was that? George Bernard George, Shaw. George Bernard Shaw wrote Pygmalion, and um, what this mother in in um, New Mexico was lamenting, and, and then again, this is a professional educator talking, saying that when her children are denied access to honors and AP classes, and they go into regular classes. 
in many of those regular classes, the teacher's assumption is these are lazy kids who really don't care about their education. Right. Okay, that's the assumption. And that's the level at which the classes are taught. And in fact, there are a lot of kids who don't want to do well in school right. in those regular classes. But um, so so her children, her boys were confined. They were they were um, prohibited or, or um, not allowed to take the classes AP honors and the, they couldn't be on robotics. And they were consigned to these underachieving classrooms where you're going to get that Pygmalion effect. Well, you know, and I think that something to mention there is that it's that kind of phenomenon mm-hmm. that, that leads to, that leads many people to the idea of, oh, well, we just need teacher accountability because if all teachers taught every class as though they were the best students. Right. And, and that is utopian mm-hmm. because if, if you're an employer... Right. And you have employees that do really great work, and then you have employees that aren't motivated, that don't really do what you ask them to do. Mm-hmm. You're not, what are you going to do to make the, you're going to fire them. Right. You're not going right. to keep those. Teachers can't fire you students. Can't, you can't fire your students. So, right. so the teachers are there, and they're trying to get students to be motivated. They're trying to get students to do what they can. But the students don't do their work. And... I, I don't know, while I would ideally like it for the teachers to maintain that level of enthusiasm, that level yeah. of, of um, uh, creativity, um, I don't know that I really blame them or really get upset with them when they begin to lose some of that enthusiasm, at least That's for right. some of their classes. If you go into a classroom every now, you know, we've been teacher, we've taught, and you go into a classroom every day, and you're teaching the lowest achieving students day after. Now these are high school students, right? So these are kids who have failed elementary school and middle school. Right. Now they're coming to high school. They're not going to be excited about education right. because they've done poorly all of their lives. None of us are motivated or excited or enthused about things that we don't do well. Bernie and I work together every day, and he knows how I feel about fiddling around with computers. I hate it because I, why? Because I'm not good at it. Right. I don't understand it. I don't. I don't understand how they work. I don't understand the software, and I hate fiddling with computers because I'm not good at it. And that's what our. That's what these underachieving high school students are saying. I'm not good at this. Don't expect me to be excited about something that I'm not good at. And and the teachers who teach them begin to feel the same way. It's not that because they're bad teachers, but think about that. You go in every single day, and like you say, you can't fire the students. Right. If you're an employer, you can fire those employees who are unmotivated or don't come to work or don't do what you ask them to do. Teachers aren't allowed to fire students. Right. You know, they can they can do the best that they can, but and we've said on this program many times before that you are not going to be motivated to something that you're not good at. If you're if you're Achieving at a very low level, you're not going to be highly motivated. Right. If you want to increase motivation, you've got to increase achievement. Right. Okay? And, and I think listeners can probably assume or, or expect how you and I feel about education. We, you know, it's something that we really enjoy. We, right. we teach. We, we take time out of our clinical work so that we can teach and, and, and work with students, and especially college students and graduate-level students. But despite my joy and enthusiasm for teaching, um, there have been lots of times when I've had classes who are just, it, it just is that Every random mixture right, uh, right. of students who just don't really, aren't really enthusiastic. They're right. taking a class that they're being forced to take. They have to take it. They're they, not interested in they're it. They're not really interested. It's, right. it's you know, I, I teach a psychopharmacology class for mm-hmm. graduate counseling right. students. And it's a. I tell them the first day of class. This is going to be a language that you're not accustomed to. Right. Um, we're going to talk about things that you're that you may not be familiar with, and you you're going to have to work hard because we're going to we're going to do neuroanatomy. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you start saying things like that, you can see the yeah. the the, the glazed the, look. It's yeah. just mm-hmm. they just start looking away. They're right. and you do lose that enthusiasm. It's it right. hard to maintain, mm-hmm. uh, even for just a nine-week course that I, that I have for, for right. the students. It, it's That's hard nine to weeks. maintain. That's nine weeks, or in our college uh, classes, it's 15 weeks. We're and, asking and, these kids to maintain it an entire year. And, and, and let's be even more clear, not nine weeks, nine days. Nine days, yeah. Nine, nine sessions. Nine f- right. four-hour sessions, nine three-hour sessions. We're talking about nine sessions. Right. 
we have kids in school for 180 sessions. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's it's extremely difficult. It, it's right. it's hard to maintain that level of motivation, at, even as the teacher. Right. Um, some teachers do it very well. Some teachers can can overcome that, and they, they do a great job. But it is really challenging it's really to do. Hard to do. It's really and then and then when you add to it that you're being evaluated based on these kids who are unmotivated, you know, it's really discouraging. Right. Right. But um, so that was that was one of the letters that or one of the one of the items that um, Diane Ravitch uh, mentioned, and and it struck me that boy, we're really sorting these kids in a very cruel way. Right. You know, we're not allowing... You know, what about the late bloomers? You right. know, I mean, I was a late bloomer. Uh, my kids are late bloomers. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what about them? You know, what about kids who, who develop more slowly and who aren't ready to take this stuff on until they're juniors or seniors, and right. then they suddenly, they suddenly get excited about school? Well... These kids are getting blocked. At, at, by the time they're in 10th grade, they're getting blocked. They're, they're not even allowed to pursue the things that they want to pursue when they're ready to pursue them. Right. And, and, and you know, uh, in line with this is the issue of and one of the things I talk to parents often about is, you know, we work really hard in elementary school uh, for kids who have learning disabilities right, and, right. and things like that to get them the extra mm-hmm. support and maybe try to get them an IEP and those kinds of things. But, you know, you know, what I try to help them realize is that by the time their child is 14 years old, mm-hmm. there is a decision, there's a little check mark right. in, in the IEP that says whether or not they're going to seek a standard, standard. or a um, special, special quote-unquote, special diploma. Right. Now, what at that 14. means, at, at 14, right. so this is by the time they're entering um, probably in eighth grade, uh, this decision is being made, and that has long-term implications because... Whatever is checked at that moment, at that at that IEP meeting, that's going to dictate the rest of the high school career. That's right. Because if you if you don't take, it, it sounds bizarre, I know, but if you don't take the right class in ninth grade, mm-hmm. you may not graduate. You <laughs> may right. not be on a track that's going to get you to graduation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are on a track where it says you don't have to take the FCAT. There is a possibility that you may not, or the FSA, not the FCAT anymore, the FSA, you may be at risk for not graduating. Right, right. Because that is required, it's required by for graduation. Law. It's required by law. It's not um, required by educators, it's required by the legislature. Right. So, so it's, parents really have to be thinking about this because it is a sorting machine, just like what we criticize some of these, the European countries for doing, right. we do the we, same thing we're doing here. The, we're doing a very similar thing. We just do it more covertly. Right. We do it more secretly. That's right. Many parents don't even know if that box they is checked even, or not. They don't even know that it exists. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the other way that we do it, or, um, well, do you have another issue with it? Because I want to talk about a good way that we should be using it. Oh, I'm going to get to solutions. Anyway. Okay, good, okay. good. Because there's one other thing. There's one other thing that came in this week that I want to add to this discussion. Um, I heard from one of our listeners. Oh, great! And um, um, she said, um, <laughs> "I thought she was being sarcastic at first she, because she began her text with this, my friend, is why." I'm opposed. This is why, this, my friend, is why I send my children to magnet schools. And so she wrote this long thing about a new discipline policy that's, I mean, it's another one of those stupid decisions that's not, we don't know whether it's made by educators or not. But anyway, schools are trying to implement this new discipline procedure, which is really another brand of PBS. Positive behavior support. Yeah, it's it's the same stuff. It's old wine in new bottles, you know. Um, And so um, she was talking about that, and she said, it's not going to work. It's not going to make things better. And until the schools are safe and clean... I'm going to send my kids to magnet schools. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm tired of the disruptions. I'm tired of my kids being disrupted. I'm tired of their educations being disrupted. And she went on to talk mainly about her concern is with discipline and disruptions right. to, to her kids' education. Right. I, I, I get it. Yeah. Okay? I understand and I get it because I think most parents feel the same way about that issue. But it got me thinking about what are we really what problem are we really trying to solve with, right. with these educational reforms? Right. We hear about accountability, and we hear about this, and underperforming schools, and blah, blah, blah. But I wonder if all that talk 
really gets distilled to parents wanting an orderly and clean school. Right. And, and I, I'm beginning to think that maybe that's what everybody wants. Most parents don't talk about the curriculum. Right. The curriculum's a curriculum. Right. And you're, you, know, you do it or not. I think what most parents are concerned about is the discipline mm-hmm. and the cleanliness right. of the school. You know, right. what does it look like? Are my kids in a safe place? Is it a clean place? Are they able to use the restrooms? Are they able to use the drinking fountains? Um, and, and it suddenly struck me that maybe that's what everybody's after here. And we just, we're just missing our target. Right. We're, we're identifying the wrong um, goals. And so because we have all these reforms that most of us don't believe in, like high stakes testing right. and accountability and all that, most of us don't believe in that. But we keep rushing toward these things when maybe the real thing that we have to do. And it made me think about um, Principal Fryer, you know, right. um, when we went to talk to him. Right. I mean, what is he doing? He has an orderly school right. with a very clear, I mean, it's well run, it's quiet, it's orderly, there aren't a lot of distractions. Maybe that's what he's been able to achieve at that school. Right. And I, and I think that, you know, what a lot of this comes down to are, are those videos that we have seen so many of now on, on Facebook and other things where these these crazy classrooms with students, uh, you know, kicking desks and all right. that kind of stuff. And everybody thinks... You know, everybody's looking at that saying, that, you know, the classes are out of control. Schools aren't doing what they need to do. Teachers right. are, you know, have no idea what they're doing. And, and while that is true in some places, some situations, certainly, what we're really talking about is that the, the models that we tend to use for managing behavior and creating right. an orderly environment like you're talking about is really insufficient. You right. know, right. we're focusing on, you know, we're focusing on on what books they're studying from, right. but we really need to be talking about, can we just get the students to, to, to attend right. enough to right. be able to learn from whatever and, book we're, we're and, teaching from? And can we do something about that small number of kids who are disrupting the process? Right. I mean, that's really one of the big problems that everybody's concerned about, but I don't hear anybody talking about that. Right, because the, 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 the bottom line is, is that those kids that are distru- disrupting the class, they still need to learn also. We need That's to right. figure out some way to teach them also. Right. Yeah. And, and so we, yeah, need we can't to know, just throw them out. Right. Um, so instead of uh, punishing them and, and expelling them and suspending them, suspending them, I, I don't get suspension, but anyways, um, instead of doing those things, we need to figure out what's going on so that we can teach them. Because right. when they turn 18 or before, they will be out of school. And then what are they going to do? Yeah, if we, if we keep, you know, they used to call them, gar, uh, uh, there was a phrase, there was an article written years ago, they called garbage can kids or trash can, uh-huh. trash can kids or something, that kids you can throw out, okay? Oh. That oh. school, that's this, a horrible. Yeah, the sorting machine, <laughs> the, the, the idea of the sorting machine is if you keep sorting, you're eventually going to get kids who can't right. make it and you throw them out. Okay. Right. Well, if you throw a kid out of school, guess what institution he's going into after that? Right. Prison. Right. I mean, come on. Yeah. I was. Um, I started a new course uh, with my um, at, at the graduate school that I teach at this past week, and um, it's it's an assessment course. Mm-hmm. And so we, we of course spent some time talking about these kinds of issues and these kinds of things that are going on, and I talked to them about the normal curve. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you haven't heard of the bell curve, it's that, um, you know, it, it's a symmetrical hill, basically, right. um, that it is used in, in, in many areas of um, health and, and everything mm-hmm. to, to help illustrate the population. And so right. what it says is that whatever it is that you measure, if you measure every person uh, an infinite number of times, they will fall very neatly on this normal right. curve where there's an average and then there's an average range. And then mm-hmm. as you get out to uh, extremely high scores and extremely low scores, a very few number of people reach those. The, the, the issue is, and not to have a, a, a lesson about the normal curve right now, but the, the issue is, is that no matter what we do, right. that normal curve exists. Still exists. So even if you have, and we see this in our magnet schools, and we see this in our charter schools that have a very strict expectation, the private schools that have a very strict expectation for academics and behavior, there are still students who Mm -hmm. perform 
much lower than everybody else. That's right. And there are still students who score much higher than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Not, That's going to happen no matter what. Not everybody in a graduating class from a private school is going to go to an Ivy League college right. or university. Right. They're just not going to do it. Right. And, and what happens is, is that we create these expectations right. based upon the majority. Mm-hmm. And then... We have these students who fall on the lower end of the periphery, and we say, okay, those students are misbehaving, let's get rid of them, and we'll fill them in with some new students. Well, then all we've done is we've just shifted the normal curve a little bit because when these new students come in, we're still going to have students that perform in that bottom percentage. And then they're going to look disordered. They're going to look worse. There's something wrong. So, So all of that to say... We have to look at our expectations. Right. We have to look at what we're expecting. Right. And, and is yeah, what, well, what we're expecting appropriate? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it developmentally appropriate? Is it right. socially appropriate? Is it what we need mm-hmm. in order to teach kids the way we need to teach them? Right. And last week we talked about the new normal. Right. You know, we discussed that. One. And, and we're going to talk about that additionally um, in, in other podcasts about what, what are we what are we saying today? What are we establishing as normal? You know, what, right. what is the, what is normal for a five year old? Right. What is what is normal for a third grader? What right. is normal for a ninth grader? And when we say normal, we got to think of this whole curve. Right. The, the, the highest achievers and lowest achievers, but they're all normal. Okay? Right. This is all. It's in a range. Okay. So yeah, we need to talk about that some more too. Um, but anyway, I, I, I appreciated hearing from this listener, and, and it did give me pause, especially her first line about yeah. this, my friend, because I, I started to get offended, and then I read the whole thing, and I said, oh, okay, so she means this in a good way. She wasn't criticizing me at all. She was criticizing um, the school systems because we can't seem to get this unruly, uh, disruptive group of students under control so that they're no longer a factor Right. On the educational landscape. And, and certainly I agree with her about that. And, and the reason that we can't get control is because we have a limited toolbox. Well, that, and here's the other. This is where it led me to the, the second half of, of this podcast. So then, then it led me to, um, we all acknowledge that the social fabric is wearing out. And right. we have more serious problems um, emotional and behavioral problems, discipline problems in children than we've ever had in our lives. Right. Um, And everybody knows that. Everybody talks about it. It's well documented. We have more serious problems in our youth today than we've ever had. It's not that they're killing each other, though they are, but, but at a reduced rate. But we all acknowledge that the problems are bigger. And whatever exists outside the school will exist inside the school. So if you have if you have these problems of sex and drugs and alcohol and violence and aggression outside the school building, you're going to have all those things inside the school building. No school has ever been able to build an an invisible shield. What they call it in Star 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 Trek? They had a they put the, those shields, you know, uh, to keep out weapons. Right. And, yeah. Know. So no school has ever been able to put up an invisible shield to keep the outside world out. The outside world comes in. Uh, we all know there are drugs in school. We all know the kids are having sex in school. We all know that kids are misbehaving in school. They're stealing. They're lying. Okay, we, we know all that. We have more serious problems, but the other articles that came through this week is that we can't fund schools adequately. Right. Now, I'm not talking about we can't fund them for what they need. I'm talking about we can't fund them at all. Right. Um, Illinois, the state of Illinois is going to run out of money before the end of the school year. Education from preschool through university mm. is going to have... They've already said, one, uh, uni- one university in Chicago has already said, there are going to be layoffs, there are going to be furloughs from the president, upper administration, to the janitors. Everybody is going to be furloughed. We simply don't have enough money to finish the school year. So they're talking about four-day school weeks. The entire state of Illinois is eight since two. Th- so let me make clear here. 
at a time when we have more serious, more problems and more serious problems, we are cutting education budgets in almost every state. Right. The state of Illinois, since 2009, the state of Illinois has cut $861 million from the K-12 budget. So when you factor in inflation, this is since 2009, if you factor in inflation, that's the, um, the crash, the 2008 downturn in the economy. They've cut almost a billion dollars from the state education budget. Well, so what they've done since 2009 is they keep borrowing money from cash reserves. Right. Well, now in the past six years, they've used all their cash reserves. So now there is no money. The, 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 the schools and the universities have been living off these reserves. Well, now the reserves are gone. And now they just have to simply close the doors for some period of time until the state... Le- and what's the legislature doing? They're fighting over how to, whether or not to do this or not. What, what is the solution? Well, we can't agree. So the state lawmakers are, can't agree on what to do, so the schools are simply going to close. Right. That's Illinois. Yeah. Same thing is in Pennsylvania. Well, and, and I, have a, I have a friend here in, um, in, in Florida mm-hmm. who is a, a, an instructor, an assistant professor at um, a community college or a state college here, mm-hmm. um, full-time, she teaches 10 courses a semester, 10 courses, 10 sections of, of courses. I've never heard of that. That is an incredible number. I mean, you know, technically speaking, full-time is three courses. Right. Mm-hmm. They have her teaching 10. I've heard of people teaching four. Right. I've She's never heard of anybody teaching 10. 10. So what's happening is because of budget issues and things like that, they take the, the the instructors that they have and they pile more on them. So again, you know, she's a she's a great instructor and, and she does a fantastic job. But what is that going to do? I mean that, that's going to wear on you and it's going to certainly affect your, your Well your... first of all, she's gonna be limited in how long she's gonna be able to do this. Right. Second thing is are her students getting the quality that right. they, no matter how good or bad let's right. leave that off. You only have so much energy. And so much time. Right. And I don't know how many students are in her classes, but let's say there's 20 students in a class. Right. She's got to take care of 200 students. Believe me, that's difficult to do. Right. If you're going to be assigning papers and grading papers. Right. and I mean, that's thousands of pages of documents right. to read if you're giving the kind of assignments you should be giving. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's how you make up for these budget shortfalls right. is on the backs of your employees. Because her salary doesn't change. Right. Yeah, she's not getting paid extra. For right. Because your salary as, a, as right. a college professor is set. Right. No matter how many classes you teach, right. you, you don't get extra. Yeah. And, and here's another example. The state of Pennsylvania has 192 school districts. Uh, they're local. They're, they're, uh, they do it a little differently. It's not by county in Pennsylvania. They have independent school districts. 52 of 192 districts were run out of money between March 1st uh-huh. and May 26th. 52 of 192 districts are simply going to run out of money and they're going to have to shut the doors. So more than a quarter of the schools uh-huh. will run out. In Pennsylvania, will run out of money. These are only two states. There's 48 more that we could talk about. So what's happening is that at a time when we need more resources because we have more problems and more difficult problems to deal with, at a time when we need more, in fact, we're getting less. Right. And when our governor gets on the radio and brags about a $1 billion, with a B, $1 billion tax cut, I think of Pennsylvania and Illinois and other states. Right. Why are... I can't be the only one who sees the confusion. I'm trying to think of the right word here. <laughs> Over why we need more, and yet we continue to cut taxes. Right. That just doesn't make sense to me. And then we blame schools and teachers and teachers' unions for the... Teachers' unions didn't create the social problems. Right. They can't be the solution. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do to teachers' union. That's not the problem. So if that's not the problem, then that can't be the solution. Right. Yeah, I, I, I had to testify about some of this stuff yesterday 
when I was in the deposition that I, that I was talking about earlier. And because the all I had was some school records for this this uh, mm-hmm. I- individual that I was testifying about, and they said, you know, well, you don't really have any information about his home life. And I said, well, I don't have any information about his home life, but this is what his school life was like. Right. Um, he was making, he, he made make sexual comments to teachers. He, you know, brought a knife to school. He cursed. He was stealing things. And this was when he was in elementary school. <laughs> and I said, you know, if something like that is happening in school, right. why would we, it is a logical Thing to say that's probably what's happening outside of school as well. Right, right. Um, so if he because if he feels he can get away with it in school, he certainly feels he can get away with it outside of school. Sure. And so this this um, delusion that we have that there is this separation that okay all these things can be going on on the outside, mm-hmm. but when they come to school, you know a teacher can should be able to get the kid to just sit down and do mm-hmm. his work. That doesn't work. That doesn't that doesn't that's not reality. No. No, they can't do it. It's it's if it's outside, it's coming inside. Right. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And we're asking our teachers to deal with this stuff that comes from the outside, whether it's low hanging pants or foul language or sex in hallways. It's going to be in the building, right? And, and we have to deal with it. So, and no matter what pressure you put to the teachers, right, it's not going to change those students. No, that, until no. we have a systemic change. That's right. We, we have to a, have a systemic change. We need a system change, and that brings me up to point th- point um, three or four, which is. Oh, you have them numbered. Yeah, I have them numbered. I have oh, two. Look at you. I have three more to go. There are three quick ones, and, mm-hmm. and we'll, we might finish early today. Um, my students love when I finish early. That's, you know, I always say that too. Like about 20 minutes into class when they start getting, looking like they're going to get tired already, I say, we might be able to finish early today. And that kind of gets them sitting up again. You just throw that out there every once in a while. So to our (laughs) elected officials who love to talk about tax cuts, that sounds good. It's like a lot of the solutions we talked about last week. It sounds real good. And that might make you the hero of some of your, the people who voted for you. But tax cuts might help you get elected or reelected, but it doesn't help any of the institutions in this or any other state. This business of tax cuts, is a, it's an ideological issue. If you cut my taxes by 10%, which you're not going to do, if you cut my taxes by 10%, I'm not even going to notice it. Okay, uh, I'm not going to miss the money. I lose more than that in my sofa every year. Okay, mm-hmm. I, 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 there's more money than that on the floor of my car. Right. Okay, but ten percent to someone like Donald Trump or some of these it buys him a boat. Right. Then it buys him another house. Right. No. It's significant. So don't don't talk to me about that. And this silly tax holiday that we have around school time to buy, mm-hmm. you know. To, that money back in the state treasury. We need the money to deal with the problems that we have. It's not just in education. It's in health care, child care, child. We need the money in the state. So stop this silly business about you're helping everybody with tax cuts. You're not helping anybody. And in fact, you're hurting the very institutions that need that money. There, there are millions or billions of unaccounted for dollars in this state that are being wasted. And this business of tax cuts isn't helping anybody, and it's hurting the very people who need it the most. Well, and so, it certainly supports the, the um, conspiracy theorists who, who believe that a lot of these things are signs that, uh, that there's this underlying motive to privatize education. Yeah. That, well, we're going to keep demonstrating that the government just can't do what it needs to do. Right. We're not really giving the government the opportunity to do what it needs to do because we're, not, we're underfunding it. Right. But the more that we can, we can demonstrate that it's not effective, the more we can make the argument that we should privatize education and, right. and make it in, you know, let businesses mm-hmm. um, bid for having school buildings and educating kids. Right, right. It's it's that concept of starve the beast, you know, and that that became popular uh, a couple decades ago about if we if we just cut taxes, if we just reduce the amount of money, then it'll force institutions, it'll, it'll force them to go out of business. And I think that's what's happening in education today. If you cut and cut and cut and cut taxes, eventually you're not going to have enough money to fund anything. Right. And that's exactly what happened in Pennsylvania and Illinois. Right. So, again, you, you hurt the very institutions that we need the most. We need a vibrant, working, healthy, effective public school system in this country. 
we don't have enough private schools to do it. We will never have enough private schools to do it because not every private school is going to take the kids who the neediest children and the kids who need the most help. They're simply not going to do it. I can get all kinds of schools to educate the best and brightest, but that's not what public education, that's not the only concern of public education. So please stop with the tax cutting. It doesn't help anybody and it hurts a It helps a few people. It hurts millions of people. Second, also, stop with the political solutions to educational problems. We had a law passed this year in the state of Florida, done at the last minute. It was done the day before the legislature ended, so it snuck in under the radar with no discussion. So that And, and the result of that law is that students can go to any school in the state of Florida. Any student can transfer mm-hmm, right. to any school in the state of Florida. Stupidity. That is a stupid, worthless, dangerous destructive piece of legislation that is going to help a few, a handful of students, a handful of families, and it's going to do damage not only to other students, but to schools and school districts. That was poorly planned, poorly thought, poorly conceived, and it would be poorly implemented, implemented, and it's going to work against most people. If you, any legislature, legislator wants to help public education, there are numbers of ways to do it, but you have to work together. You can't be sliding this legislation in the night before the legislature closes and think that you've accomplished anything. You haven't done anything but hurt a lot of kids. Yeah, and, and it's going to turn schools upside down. Is, and it's going to yeah, it's going to damage schools That's because right. you know they they're, they're there are schools, right, right. The the students who you know are, are, are gifted in particular areas. We talked about this a lot last week, but right. the, the students who are particular are gifted in particular areas. They're going to go to schools that have stronger programs in those areas, right. um, and so it's going to drain some schools. Once again. The sorting machine. Right. Okay, we have a new, we're building a new kind of sorting machine that's really cruel. Right. I mean, this is a very cruel, that legislation that was passed at the end of the, that any kid could go to any school, that's cruel. You, you don't do that to children because what you're doing is you're setting up a system where, again, the best and brightest and best athletes and best students, they're going to find a place. Right. Okay. What about everybody else? Right. Okay. That's what that kind of legislation does. It sounds wonderful to some people, but it simply doesn't work. And it's not in the best interest of the state of Florida. It simply isn't. Right. Um, Ending on a positive note. All right. I read a wonderful thing from, I don't ever think I ever mentioned this woman, Diane Ravage. I probably, you've probably never heard me use her. Diane? Diane Ravage. Does she have a blog or anything? She has a blog. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, I read another blog that she posted from, um, her name is Sue Legg, L-E-G-G. She's, um, she, I think she's with the League of Women Voters or something or other. Mm-hmm. Um, discovered this piece of legislation that I had completely missed, and I have to apologize. I haven't gone in to see, maybe Bernie can do it while we're talking. Don Getz okay. is the president of the uh, Florida um, legislature, Senate, Senate president. Mm-hmm. Okay, And he has introduced legislation... And I don't know whether it passed or not. I don't even know whether it got voted on or not, because I don't think it would be very popular. Legislation that tries, that seeks to, uh, I think it's called Charter Schools with a Conscience, is, is the, uh, one of the things that, uh, one of the names that was mentioned. I don't know the name of the bill. But what Don Getz said is that we need to... Um, but charter schools, and you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, charter schools were originally developed to meet the needs of our most impoverished students. Right. What they became were elite academies for high-achieving students. Not all charter schools, but many charter schools have become these elite academies. And they have also become private enterprise. Um, th- there are some alarming numbers. I, I pulled up an article by um, Gary Sasso. Why billionaires are, are why don't billionaires support public schools? And if you um, um, if you if you read the, the the economics behind charter schools, is, is there are a number of cute little ways for entrepreneurs to make money in public school in uh, charter schools. And one of them is that and and in the state of Florida, we have two legislators, Don Getz, and um, 
Friesen, I think is his name, F-R-E-S-E-N from Miami. And his brother-in-law owns a charter school company. And they're making millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars with their charter schools. And And legislation keeps getting passed that favors charter schools over regular public schools. But the people who are really doing well are the for-profit owners. Florida has about 650 uh, charter schools, um, right. probably the most in the nation. Um, Jeb Bush uh, was, was a big advocate of, of charter schools. And uh, Florida probably has more than any other state in the union. We have about 650. And a, and a, a little over a third of those are, are for-profit companies. Okay? Right. So, so we have for-profit entrepreneurs um, and real estate companies making, um, and that's what Friesen is doing, is, is he's in the real estate side of this, um, of the charter school movement. Um, and um, so um, a third of them are for profit. And that's not about education. That's about making money. Okay, so, so there are entrepreneurs out here in the charter school business who are making large amounts of money. And it's, again, to the detriment of public education. Right. Um, so you have tax cuts on the one hand. You have charter schools bleeding money out of the regular public schools. And all of this is working against the very thing that everybody's complaining about, that we have to fix our public schools and make them better. And yet public policies like tax cuts and charter and these kind of for-profit charter schools are pulling everything in the wrong direction. Right. Okay. So, again... Um, we need to be aware of these issues. Um, it's not the union's fault. I'm not a member of the teachers' union, so I have no axe to grind there. I'm just saying that did teachers' unions cause the problem? No. Then teachers' union, ending teachers is not the solution. Okay, keep that in mind. Uh, when when uh, Columbine um, happened, um, they said that uh, we have to put metal detectors at the right. entrance of every school. And, and some of the people were saying, well, wait a minute. Was it the absence of medical metal detectors that caused the shooting? Right. No. So that's not going to be the solution. Kids are still getting guns in schools. Okay. If you want to get a gun in school, you can get a gun in a school. Right. Uh, which we've seen since uh, 2000 or 1990. By the way, it does look like it was passed in the Florida Senate, but it has to go to the House now. Right. So they're waiting to see what happens there. But the legislature. But it was session. a very comprehensive uh, bill that included lots of other things. Well, comprehensive meaning that it, uh, or varied. It, it included a lot of other things. So it was one of those situations where they take one bill that was actually about universities and things that universities right. do, and they tagged some other things on with it, including this uh, uh, charter school mm-hmm. construction uh, stuff. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the whole charter school construction business. Um, is probably going to end up as another boondoggle, a very complicated issue that we won't even begin to go into today. But uh, President Goetz, uh, I commend you um, for um, having a conscience, and I commend you for because it's definitely a step in the right direction. We support your efforts, and we applaud your efforts, and uh, thank you uh, on behalf of the uh, children of Florida the, for taking that. That's a pretty courageous stand for you to take in that um uh, that legislative session. So we appreciate that. Yeah. And um, that winds up uh, podcast number 13. Um, love to hear from you again. Thank you for that uh, text on uh, discipline. Uh, appreciate that. Love to hear from the rest of you and um, look forward to uh, to next week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that there's still a lot of things to think about with this because um you know, I think that as we progress here in the United States and, and we realize that, you know, our education system is a sorting machine, it, it does sort, um, and, but we really need to get in and think a little bit more deeply about how we're sorting it um, and how, we're going, how we allow that process to occur, uh, I think it will improve. Uh, for example, we, something we've talked about before just very quickly is that you know, there, there are certainly students who are not going to go to college. That's right. We know that there are students who aren't going to go to college. So why not put them on a track? Right. Why not identify those, have some, a mechanism to identify those students and put them in a vocational track right. or in a track that allows them, once they finish high school, to right. be employable? Right. Um, you know, that would be a way that we could sort, but done in a way that actually helps mm-hmm. our situation, helps those students and everything. So I, I do have two more things that I want to say. Oh, boy. Can See, I? You're the, one that, Can you're I? the one that was trying to end it out. No. I, uh, there are two more things I want to say. One is, uh, I was talking about this article, Why Don't the Billionaires Support Public Schools? Um, 
the Walton family, Bill Gates, Zuckerberg. Um, if you guys want to improve education, we, we, and I say we, and I'll be happy to help in whatever way you want me to, we need to support public education. That's the only solution. Um, it, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna throw money at a problem, throw money at the right problem. And the right problem is we need to fix our public schools. And we said last week, and we we'll say it again this week. We know how to do that. Um, so let us do it. Um, so please, if the billionaires want to throw money at uh, public schools at at, at education, um, please send it in the direction of public schools because they are the solution. They are not the problem. Okay. Right. Um, and there was one other thing, and I've forgotten what it is, thankfully. And uh, so we'll end there. <laughs> All right. Well, um, as you said a moment ago, we'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts, questions, ideas, opinions. Uh, we would love to have them. We'll share them. Right. And, uh, you know, again, we're, we're giving our opinions. We're giving our thoughts. And we'd love to hear others because I think that a healthy debate, a healthy discussion is what's really needed because, you know, while we, we feel we have thoughts about it, there are certainly other thoughts and possibly other ideas and That's right. idea, things that we haven't considered before. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Um, so we'd love to hear from you. If you are listening on iTunes, we'd love for you to jump onto iTunes and write a, a review or, or rate us. Just uh, That helps other people find out about us, which, as we say every week, helps uh, increase our uh, visibility and lets other people know that we're here and to join in on the conversation. So... Um, I mentioned it before, uh, but in a few weeks, it will be on uh, Monday, March 28th. There is an education forum happening here in Polk County, uh, hosted by the, uh, the Ledger. And um, there's going to be more information coming out, but that's, that's just in a week and two days. I didn't realize that it was so close. So right up. It's just like nine days away. Right. So uh, that's going to be very exciting. There's a lot of people scheduled to talk and, and be part of that. Um, so... Uh, Keep an eye out, those of you who live in this area, uh, keep an eye out and um, definitely come and, and, and be a part of that because uh, it's going to be yeah. really good. So um, anything else? I think that's it. All right. So until next week, I'm Dr. Bernie. And I'm Dr. Richard. Have a great week and uh, have a good weekend and, and good luck for those. Break. And a good spring break. And, and good luck for those who are testing. Um, just take deep breaths. It'll be all right. Mm -hmm.